Creating a CPA firm from scratch is hard. Scaling it is even harder, and doing it alone sucks. Why not join a firm that's built everything you know your practice needs to service clients better and scale your book of business? Stay tuned to hear more from our sponsor, Dark Horse CPAs, later in the episode. You get these tech people coming in from outside accounting, and they think, there's all this data locked up in QuickBooks. We can get insights from it. But what if there really isn't a lot of insight to be gleaned from the accounting data? Because most of it, when, you, when you're talking about running a business, most of the things that matter to the success of the business aren't in the accounting. The accounting is what happens after all the transactions occur. And isn't running a business, isn't growing a business all about making those transactions happen? Coming to you weekly from the OnPay Recording Studio, this is the Cloud Accounting Podcast. Welcome to the Cloud Accounting Podcast. I'm Blake Oliver. I'm David Leary. Good morning, David. Good morning, good morning. So what's top of mind for you this week, David? Well, I chilled out. I was in Mexico for a couple of days. Went down, did nothing, which is good. Popped into, uh, just as we were leaving town, you know, there's a lot of condos being built down there. And so we popped into one and they're in like phase two and there's only like two uh, residents left in this. But it's literally the, you're, you're starting at 600 grand, 700, 800 grand to get a super modern condo in Rocky Point, Mexico. If you think about that. How much? 600, 700, 800 grand. Oh, so like like the prices around here. Yeah, exactly. It's, uh, yeah. I mean, I, it's always kind of been like that though. Like California money flows into Phoenix in Arizona, and then people in Arizona are like, got all this equity. So then they go build, you know, something in Mexico for cheap. Buy a second home. Yeah, buy a second home yeah. in Mexico. Interesting. Well, I'm glad you had a nice time. That stands in direct opposition to my adventure vacation at Disneyland, which I will not talk about in this episode. We talked about it last we got week. Two li- right? We talked about it last week. We got one listener voicemail from Nicole. I would love to play that. We have news about... The Bitcoin experiment in El Salvador, the crypto experiment in El Salvador. Follow up on that. Biden is proposing a new tax on the uber rich. ESG rules are coming from the SEC. That's probably I one of the that. biggest changes in a long time. Who's going who's gonna to win? Who's going to lose in that? The Great Resignation continues. I've got some data points on that that might help firms survive. I know that our friends who run firms that we talk to on a regular basis are suffering from turnover. Everyone seems to be suffering from turnover. It used to be that people wouldn't leave during busy season. That was considered a no-no. And now all decorum has gone aside. Nobody cares You can just quit. Yeah, you just quit whenever you want. That's creating a mess. What about you, David? I mean, we got app news. I mean, we have, yeah. So Digits had a huge raise. Um, Ramp had a huge raise. A company called Finally, which is really, uh, I'd say it's another accounting firm with engineers. They were... Backoffice.co, I think, was the original company. We'll get into the news on that. They took a huge raise. A company that wants to get rid of spreadsheets took a raise. I saw an interesting article about, they kind of bring this show just to tie things in, Mr. Carwash, which is based out of here in Tucson. Mr. Carwash. Mr. Carwash. And they're big. They're uh, almost $800 million in revenue now. Carwash is all over the country now, blah, 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 blah. But what's interesting about this, what caught my eye, their year-over-year increase for their unlimited wash clubs. So are you familiar with car washes that do this now? Oh, yeah. This is one they, of those great subscription businesses. Subscription models, you thought you couldn't. Right? Yeah. Everyone thought 
what would be the most unusual thing to turn into a subscription business? And car washes, nobody thought about that. It makes a lot of sense. So, the, so this company, year over eight, year, eight hundred million. Yeah, go ahead. A year over year, it's up three hundred forty-three percent. Their subscriptions, the unlimited car wash. They have one point six million members on their unlimited car wash now. So that's one point six those... million people recurring revenue. Probably what thirty-five bucks a month. Twenty. Who knows? Like it's crazy. One point six million people, and they. Do you know what they charge for their recurring subscription? Uh, twenty nine, thirty four, somewhere in you know. Yeah. Maybe, maybe it's twenty four ninety nine. Yeah. So the idea is, I want to wash my car. Instead of paying each time I go, I buy one of these memberships, and then I can just go get unlimited car washes. It's brilliant. It's it's crazy because yeah. it just it shows like that people want this model, they desire this model, yeah. especially when on their side. And I'm sure people aren't taking advantage of it. Like the cost to wash your car for, for them is like nothing, right? It's a little bit well, of water. It's it's it's, it's water and, and the labor is generally going to be fixed unless you increase demand so much they have to hire. But that's good if you do that, yeah. right? So, so you've got this fixed cost to manage this car wash. Well, yeah, why not sell subscriptions? Who cares if somebody comes one more time than they normally would? You want that. They're getting value. And, and, and it's probably like the gym model where people buy it and they don't even use it some months. Right, right. Like gym yeah, gyms are a great subscription business. They're probably the original subscription business and they're super lucrative. Car washes can be the same. So I just saw that. I mean, I always knew they had these. Yeah. I just didn't know like they were doing that kind of numbers in car wash subscriptions. 800 million in annual revenue. Well, that's really... Fascinating. Keep us posted on that. In the meantime, uh, before we get into everything else, how about we play this voicemail from Nicole? Perfect. Hey, Blake and David. This is Nicole McKenzie. I am the owner of an outsourced accounting firm called Momentum Accounting, and I am also the co-host of the Sons of CPAs podcast. Check it out. Anyway, I was listening to your most recent episode, 270, where you were talking about cash basis versus accrual basis reports and needing the cash basis to file tax returns. And this is one thing that drives me crazy because I am the owner of an outsourced accounting firm and we do not prepare taxes, but we work with a lot of different tax preparers. And prior to starting my firm, I actually did work as a tax accountant. So I've been on both sides of it. And in my opinion, tax accountants should not be asking for cash basis financials. They should be using the accrual basis and be making what is called an M1 book to tax adjustment on the tax return. So your book balance sheet should always tie to your tax return balance sheet. And it drives me crazy when I get tax accountants giving my team AJEs to accounts payable and accounts receivable commingled with depreciation AJEs, which we do want to make. So it's just really frustrating um, being on this side of it. So I'm just curious what other people, what the tax accountants think and how we can sort of all work together on solving this problem because it's uh, a huge pain in the butt. Anyway, I appreciate what you guys are doing. Love your podcast. And uh, yeah, again, check out Sons of CPA's podcast. Take care. First off, that was super high quality. I don't know how she recorded that, but like for an inbound voice. Uh, I, I, well, I think it's just a voice memo on the iPhone, David, you know. Came out very, you might want to switch from that Android device. Very, the very microphones good. are quite good. So, so if, if I'm um, here correctly, I don't have to... Go into my QuickBooks and say cash when I run my reports and change that little toggle. 
Ike, in theory, should be able to deliver my balance sheet and profit loss to my CPA. And my CPA, the IRS has a place to account for this on some form somewhere when they file my return. There's a reconciliation that you do. You convert from accrual to cash and you put that on the return and everything's fine. But I know why. I mean, I've been in It's Nicole's because QuickBooks has that stupid button. If they never put that button in there, this would not be, nobody would ever ask for this. Well, it's two things that are causing the pain. It's that QuickBooks as an accounting system fails to keep the books on both an accrual and a cash basis. So that cash basis button is very deceptive because if you do any of a list of common things, your cash basis financials will no longer be correct. Like your balance sheet won't be accurate on a cash basis. And um, yeah, so it would actually just be a lot cleaner if you could send the accrual basis financials to the tax people and they would make the adjustment. But I know why they don't because it takes extra effort. (laughs) And shockingly, shockingly, a lot of tax accountants don't know how to do these adjustments properly. And I'm not, dear listener, if you are listening, you're like, I know how to do that. I'm a good accountant. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about the millions Just tweet of- tweet it, Blake. Tweet it, Blake. Let him know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't get mad at, don't at me on this because I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about these unlicensed garbage tax prep shops where they don't know the difference between accrual and cash basis financials and they just take numbers and they plug them into the return and they couldn't do a schedule M1 reconciliation if it, I, I think that's the term, if their life depended on it. Because I did, I, you know, I, I've dabbled in doing my own taxes and I had to do one of those. And I thought, oh, this is actually kind of a challenge. So they don't do it. I mean, there's two solutions. One is that QuickBooks could actually do proper cash and accrual base, like flipping between them. <laughs> and the other one is just actually, my best recommendation, Nicole, is as you grow, do the tax. Because if you can offer both the accounting and the tax in one place, not only will your, will your clients be happier, but you will make a bundle of money because you're already doing all the hard work for these tax preparers. They're, they're just capturing all that value from the return. I mean, this is from my direct experience. I had a bookkeeping company. We merged with a CPA firm. The realization on the tax work was insane. We could charge, you know, we were charging $2,500 a month to do accounting for companies. And that meant that we could charge them like $2,000 to do the tax return. Because relatively speaking, the tax return was once a year and was one twelfth of the total cost of their relationship with us. It seemed reasonable to spend that. But if you, It's so, price so, anchoring. Because really, the, the theory is, is you have their bookkeeping. You take a little bit of time every month making sure their books are in order. In theory, you have almost no work to do at tax season. Yeah, you could even maintain that book-to-tax adjustment throughout the year so that you just have the numbers to plug into the return. And there are companies that are working on automating this, the flow of the data from the accounting system into the tax software. So yeah, yeah, you just, you're done. You lock it down, submit on January, whatever, when the processing opens, January 20th, is it, I think? So that's my recommendation for all the people who are frustrated with working with tax folks is like, Form an alliance or just do it yourself because, oh my gosh. And this is why all the traditional CPA firms are trying to build cast teams is because they see the light too, that if you don't have to clean up all the bookkeeping, your realization goes through the roof. And we, we could do returns in a couple hours and charge thousands of dollars for them because we've done all the work throughout the year. And this is what most traditional firms miss when they look at job profitability is they see, oh, bookkeeping is not profitable. 
Well, yes, it is if you're also doing the return for that same company because we've been doing all the work throughout the year to make sure that the return is easy to do, you know? Yeah, you can't look at it from a department-by-department basis or you miss the big picture. Costco would not sell eggs, right? Yeah, exactly. If they only judge profit on those eggs. They wouldn't say, supermarkets would not sell milk if they looked at job profitability on selling a gallon of milk because they probably lose money on the milk. So it's what everyone, it's all the other stuff people buy when they go into the store. So yeah, thank you, Nicole, so much for that lovely voicemail. And if our listeners want to let us know their thoughts on this, or perhaps you are a tax firm that wants to partner up with an awesome firm like Momentum and create this holistic experience or anything else, email me, blake at blakeoliver.com. You can record a voice memo on your phone, just like that. Just send me an MP3 or a WAV file. We'll listen to it. We'll likely play it on the air. Love hearing from our listeners. Thank you, Nicole. So where do we go from here, David? Well, I think just encouraging folks to interact. With this new product here, this new, can I paste in in a chat? Uh Uh-huh. I'm going to give you a URL. And we can maybe dive into this next episode or chat about it more. Maybe our users can dive into this. It's a horrible URL, so I might have to get a good URL to give out to people. But this is the 2021 Intuit Rate Survey. It finally came out. Ooh. And they put it in this like cool tool. So, for example, if you want to know somebody that is registered as a pro advisor for QuickBooks Desktop Certified, they are charging an average bookkeeping rate of $90 an hour. You want to know what somebody's charging in the state of Connecticut for QuickBooks Cleanup? $100. Bucks. Like, it's, you could just drill down and drill down Canada. You want to know what somebody's charging in Canada? Average tax prep, $97. Average QuickBooks setup rate, $121. So, wait, wait, wait. Average tax prep is only $97? Is that per hour? This is. <laughs> Are these um, hourly rates? Yeah, hourly rates. This is the oh, rates no. Rate. It's all hourly rates, David. No. Yeah. <laughs> that doesn't so, tell us anything. It could take one hour, it could tell, take 10 hours. I start to sound like Seinfeld every time I talk about hourly rates. So anyway, David, we can't talk about the hourly rates. So I would love for folks to dig in on this. 900 participants participated, right? Now, obviously, this is going to be your QuickBooks Pro Advisors, right? People that are in the Intuit world. Probably it's not. I, I doubt the, the survey is going out to non-Intuit Pro Advisors. Maybe it is some of them. But it's. Uh, I would love people so, to... Uh, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, David, but this is meaningless. It's hourly rates. If we don't know how many hours they're billing, it doesn't tell us anything. Yeah, because it doesn't say how long they work on a product. Let's see. Right. Click around. Exactly. I could work 10 hours or I could work two hours. I'm going to get a very different price. But you can see the hourly rate based on certification levels, I guess, maybe, and by states. Yeah. But you're right. Like Overall, well, it doesn't tell you if people in West Virginia are doing tax returns in an hour. It doesn't tell you the profit. It doesn't tell you the revenue. I mean, this is my problem with hourly rates. It's like, it's not helpful. Like for instance, um, average, and this is also why people, uh, bookkeeping doesn't get the respect it deserves because let's see for, for instance, in Arizona, the average tax prep rate is $128 per hour. The average bookkeeping rate is $86 per hour. So a traditional firm looks at that and they say, we're not making as much money on bookkeeping. Yes, on an hourly basis, you aren't. But in every other way, you could be making way more money. This this is not. And, and I think the other Sorry, issue I have with this, and this is, we're in this world of cloud, and Intuit's find a pro advisor site still ask you right. Let's before I, before I speak, let's find a pro advisor dot com. Find a I think it still asks you for an hourly rate, right? Advisor. I mean, here's no, I how, I, zip code how I get... first still. But see what it's based yeah. on zip code and city. We live in this world of cloud accounting. 
right? And it's you start yeah. with your zip code, right? And that's kind of this rate yeah. survey, right? Actually, it doesn't matter. Like, what would be more interesting would be, are you cloud? Do you take clients everywhere? What's your early rate? Because like, you're not going to charge, if you're doing cloud accounting, you're not going to charge somebody in South Dakota a different price than somebody maybe in a different state, right? If you're kind of I mean, fixed you pricing. Could, you could value price them, I guess. I don't know. But yeah, it's it's not, yeah. We live in the world of cloud. Geography is not important. Hourly rates shouldn't be important, but they still are what we are using. So we'll get it out in the show notes. And uh, I'd love for people to poke around in this and connect with, like, give their thoughts. Yeah. I guess it, it gives you an idea of the relative pricing between regions. It's going to be cheaper in the Midwest versus on the coasts in the big cities. And but well, Folks that are know. QuickBooks Enterprise certified are charging way more, almost double. Because they're working with bigger businesses, yeah. right? Yeah. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by Cinder. With direct connections to Amazon, Shopify, eBay, Stripe, Square, and 20 of the most popular online and e-commerce platforms, Cinder automatically categorizes and accurately posts transactions into the accounting system, allowing you to easily prepare your clients' data and organize their consolidated P&L regardless of the number of platforms they may be selling on. Cinder allows you to use the general ledger of your choice, QuickBooks, Xero, or even Cinder's own GL, which is designed specifically for e-commerce businesses and contains everything you need out of the box to make tax season a breeze. Cinder can sync all the necessary details like inventory items, tax, shipping, discounts, classes, and locations. It even correctly handles the processor fees. With tools like a duplicate detector and rollback functions, you can rest assured your client's books will never get messed up because you can undo and restore any synced data with literally one click. If you need support from Cinder, they offer free help using your favorite means of communication, be it chat, email, or phone. To try out Cinder for free, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash Cinder. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash S-Y-N-D-E-R. So um, remote work, David. Quick story about remote work. A lot of firms are starting to pull their staff back into the office, but that may be a risky move considering that half of remote professionals say they would quit if required to go back to the office. That's according to a survey by Robert Half the Temporary Staffing Agency. It was a survey of more than 2,300 senior managers in the U.S. Two-thirds of respondents, 66%, said they want their teams to work on-site full-time as COVID-19-related restrictions ease. So lots of managers, two-thirds, want their staff to come back. This is down five points from a similar survey last year. So fewer managers, slightly fewer, right? 5% fewer want their employees to come back. Only one in three senior managers support long-term hybrid schedules. That's where a staff can divide time between the office and another location. Only a third support that. And the abilities, you know, the employee's ability to choose where they work. Technology companies are more open to flexibility, 37% of them. still really low. And here's the problem, is that when you actually talk to the employees themselves, half of those employees In a survey of 1,000 employees, half of them said they would look for a new job if their company required employees to return to the office full-time. And that's up 16 points from one year ago. So the longer people work remotely, the more they want to stay working remotely. Working parents said 55% of them said they would not go back to the office. And millennials, 65% said they would quit if called back. 
So be careful if you call your people back to the office. You're going to accelerate the great resignation in your own firm. Almost all the firms conspire to require it all together, and there's really no option. <laughs> if they all do it, I guess. But you know, then what will happen is these accountants will just go find jobs in other professions, which is already happening. It'll just accelerate the great resignation and the, the, the great, I don't know, what do you call that? The great transition of accountants into the other fields. You're going to coin a new term here. The great exit. Yeah. The, the great exit. That's what it is. The great exit from accounting. I think you just coined that, David. It's like a reversing entry, reversing career. <laughs> so, so, you know, that's, that's, not, that's not great. Meanwhile, a lot of tech companies like Google have been trying to bring people back to their campuses, which I think is a little more palatable because they make those campuses like palaces, everything you could possibly need. They want you to live at the office. But one company, one tech company, a very big one, is not doing that. Facebook, or as they now call themselves, Meta, is becoming more remote than ever before. And this is part of Mark Zuckerberg's bet on the metaverse. Because he just wants them to put on those headsets and work that way. Yeah, the VR headsets, right? That His bet is Oculus is owned by Meta. Mark Zuckerberg bets that in the future, we will be working at home wearing VR goggles or augmented reality glasses or something. And that is how we will Yeah, because your sales rep can't walk into a, a firm and say, hey buy these Oculus headsets for all your employees and have them work at home in the metaverse unless he was doing it with his own employees, right? Yeah. He'll never be able to sell. Right. And you know what? If I had to bet between, if I had to choose between in-person in the office and the metaverse, given what I'm seeing in the data about employees wanting to work from home, I bet you the employees would be happy to slap on a virtual reality headset as they get better and better and better and more and more lightweight and work in the metaverse. Then you should be buying to tons of meta stock because isn't it like crazy down? Because nobody in the street thinks this is going to happen. I like, like well, if this is it, your play, it's like, way, like this is your exit, man. Yeah. Like just double down well, I, meta. I, I don't know if meta is going to be the one to do it. I mean, they have the bullhorn and that's what Mark Zuckerberg says gets a lot of attention, but I bet you there's a bunch of other startups that are doing this. And maybe, maybe there's the next Facebook is going to be in the metaverse. But I'm saying this as a vocal critic of, what do you call it? It's like technology that just gets a lot of press, but oh it's boy. all vaporware. You mean like all the you app know? news this week? <laughs> I'm kidding. Yeah, the app news this week is full of that. But I bought an Oculus. Yeah. I bought a, a meta headset for $300 just to try it out because we talk about it so much and I can uh, claim it as a business expense. And I am really, really, really impressed with where things are going. It's still not super comfortable to wear for a long time, but the quality for $300 is incredible. And if they just get a little more lightweight, a little higher resolution, I could see people using that instead of a computer screen because you have your whole field of vision as your Excel workbook that's unending, right? That sort of thing. Financial professionals could actually benefit from this. And yeah, the collaboration in the metaverse could create this feeling of being there with people more than Zoom. Somebody's going to figure it out. It's, I mean, imagine the internet. The internet before the internet was the internet, we had bulletin board systems and people thought that's the internet. I mean, this is where we're at right now with the metaverse. It's mm -hmm. like we have BBSs, right? And some people are like all up into it and loving it. But most people are like, what is this? Like I, a bulletin board? I, I, I use the physical bulletin board down at my coffee shop, you know? I don't know. So, I got a kid that has it and they're basically monkeys playing tag. 
in this thing. <laughs> like, like that's oh, yeah, the- yeah. The, yeah, the, the games. I mean, there's a paintball game that, that my son plays. I, I, that Why not real paintball? really fun. Why not? Because well, real cheaper. paintball hurts, Real paintball man. costs you more than 350 bucks to play. That's, a lot of, that's right. It costs you like 100 bucks every time you play, right? Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I, I just think there's a lot of potential for it. So, uh, you know, combine that with the great resignation and the people wanting to work remotely. There's going to be demand for this. If somebody cracks the code on it, if somebody can make the killer app for the metaverse, then we'll all be in it. We'll be recording our podcast from the metaverse cloud accounting podcast recording studios someday. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> I'll be all along and retired by then uh, in the physical <laughs> world. I'll be building things in the physical world. This is, uh, speaking of future, take Florida politics out of this, but Senator Rick Scott, when he was the Florida governor proposed a financial literacy legislation bill. And apparently it just got passed now. It's called SB 1054. And pushing that accounting should be taught as a basic skill. Accounting, bookkeeping, those types of things. Um, And this is his quote. So he was on uh, some Fox Business Network interview. Let me get this quote here. What I always will tell everybody is that you ought to take two years of bookkeeping in high school because you really need to understand how businesses work. Because whether you're going to build your own business, whether you're going to work for a business, you ought to know how it works because you'll know where you fit in. And apparently the host pushed back on him to define bookkeeping. And he said, it's like basic accounting. It's knowing how balance sheets work, how income statements work, and how cash flow statements work. Because it's really the basis of how business works. It's basic accounting. So it's... um. This is a. Like, like the fact that, like, somebody pushed younger people to just learn basic accounting, you know? Yeah, that's great. Go, Rick Scott. And where's the. The funny thing is, like, I don't see, like, where's the AICPA's endorsement of this? Or. Oh, they don't get political, remember, David? <laughs> they, they, don't, they don't touch politics. Which makes so, them kind of useless when it comes to being in Washington. <laughs> so we'll see, because now he's a senator, so maybe we will see him propose bills like this, federal legislation. But they'll have to cut something else out, so maybe it'll just be like, you know, periodic tables, done. Cut it out. <laughs> yeah, we, don't, we, don't, we don't need history. Or right? science. Just cut out the U.S. history and put in, or science, and just put in the accounting. <laughs> Speaking of science, don't you have stuff about the environmental SEC impact stuff? Oh, ESG? Yeah. So here's a story from CNBC. Who stands to make and lose money if the SEC climate rule becomes law? So the SEC has proposed new rules that would require companies to disclose their risks related to climate change and their greenhouse gas emissions. It will be a while until the proposal becomes law, but if it does, the implications will be sweeping. And this because the the SEC, it's going to be public companies? Public companies okay. will have to disclose more about their climate whatevers. I'm not really sure exactly what they're going to have to disclose. Because I didn't read the uh, the rule. We'll read it when it becomes law. Yeah, so they'll have to, um, they're going to have to report like their own like green emission stuff. They're going to have to report any re- risks, risk of climate change, right? Which I always find interesting because I don't know, have you been to London any time in the last half a decade? I've never been to London. Some of the most expensive skyscrapers in the world are being built in London right now. Massive, massive skyscrapers, like spitting distance from the river. You know, like all these maps where it shows like they're all going to be underwater because of 
global climate change, right? I'm always like, uh-huh. can't reconcile this. Like what, these are billion, do- billion and billion dollar projects being built. Obviously they're being financed. Obviously there be, there's insurance. Like what do all the people with money know that the rest of us don't know, right? So now they'd have to disclose what? that, right? Maybe me, they'd I, have to disclose, oh, we, we, we figured it out and there's actually no risk of our buildings being flooded. I don't know. I don't know. I guess, it, yeah, it's it's a good question. So I'm just reading this fact sheet about these climate-related disclosures. And right at the top, they say, the amendments would require domestic or foreign registrants to include the following information on their 10K. So that would be climate-related risks and their actual or likely material impacts on the registrant's business strategy and outlook. So that rising sea levels would be an example of that. If you're building a skyscraper that could be flooded, then maybe you'd have to put that on there. Although a lot of this stuff contains a lot of judgment. So then you wonder, okay, well, are they really going to disclose it or is it just going to become a formality? Here's one that's interesting. The registrant's greenhouse gas emissions, GHG, which for accelerated and large accelerated filers and with respect to certain emissions would be subject to assurance. So the auditors of public companies would be auditing greenhouse gas emissions. Yeah, and that's, and the, then that's some other the, stuff. the key here is of this, right? C, uh, this is an article yeah. in Journal of Accountancy. It's one of the last paragraphs in the article that talks about CPAs in public accounting should be aware that they may be requested to perform additional services for large companies under the proposal. Well, yeah. So <laughs> it's, well, it's a whole business model here. Like, like this is right. even more non-audit work to do. Or non- so you're skipping money. ahead to the winners and the losers, right? Okay, so the yeah. winners in this CNBC article are companies that control carbon emissions. They would look better under this. Losers, businesses with surprisingly bad carbon footprints, because you can picture institutional funds saying, we're only going to invest in businesses that meet a certain threshold for carbon emissions, according to this new standard. But then you just buy and, like those credits, right? Those. Yeah, you buy credits, credits to offset them. I don't know. Yeah. But the big winner that's relevant to us is compliance, professionals, and software. Quote, companies will need help figuring out how to track and report their climate risk. Advisors, consultants, and auditors who have that expertise will be in demand, including many big names in insurance and management consulting. That's according to Rich Sorkin, the CEO and co-founder of Jupiter, a climate risk analytics company. So get into that business and then invest in the software companies that help businesses automate their reporting of greenhouse gas emissions. So is this something the SEC should be involved in? Because this is just another distraction. Like, now they have to deal with this when they should be securities fraud, right? Like, is this just another thing in the way of them doing their core function? I think they haven't been doing their... Well, I, I don't know. So my problem is that GAP itself needs to be modernized, and nobody's doing that. So we're getting distracted by ESG, where GAP doesn't know how to handle intangible assets... And I think that would be something for the SEC to focus on is work with FASB, the Financial Accounting Standards Board, and figure out how do we actually value intangible assets? How do we make GAP work for subscription businesses? Because everything I've learned in the last four to five years that I've been at tech companies is that nobody looks at the accounting because the accounting isn't useful if your business is mostly intangible assets. And audits aren't that valuable because if most of your assets are intangible and are not on the balance sheet, then what are you auditing? You're auditing something that's really not valuable to investors. They, they don't investors really care are making what decisions not based on the financials. And this is just another thing that's not on the financials that maybe investors will use in their 
decision-making. They did say they are seeking public comment on this, so this is still ways off. This could be years, right? Yeah, years away. And but I also I do imagine think it's good. It, it ebbs and flows with uh, the administration, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. We'll get a, if we get a Republican administration in, then it won't happen, right? Yeah. But here's what I like about this, is that investors are demanding this information. And so it's good that we as accountants figure out a way to offer it to them if that's what they want. But I think that we also need to look at what we already do and figure out, you know, is don't get distracted by the shiny object. This is shiny object syndrome here. But there is a lot of money to be made, I guess. So Yeah, firms are going to spin up divisions. They're going to create some blog posts. We're going to neglect our core duty, which is to match income and expense in the period incurred. And we we don't do that right now for for most businesses. It's Anyway, I'm happy to talk at length about this with anyone who's interested, but I don't know. It feels like nobody seems to understand or care. But like, when was the last time anyone in tech cared about gap financial statements? I mean, there's a reason they don't. And it's, it's because they're just not that useful. Or maybe they just didn't get their high school education on it. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by Dark Horse CPAs. Let's face it, your CPA firm is running your life. Truth be told, you're not making enough money to make up for being a stranger to your family. You're spending too much of your time on compliance work instead of profitable advisory services that'll make you indispensable to clients. But how do you evolve your practice when you're buried by your work? Small firms are continually merging up into larger firms in order to make this transformation, but you didn't start your own practice with the goal of becoming an indentured servant. Fortunately, Dark Horse CPAs has created a firm that provides its CPAs with the resources and technology of a modern accounting firm. Their democratized CPA firm enables you to stop spending your time on low-value activities and start spending time advising clients, deepening relationships, and scaling your practice. And don't worry, you always own 100% of your book of business. To find out why sole practitioners and small firms are joining Dark Horse, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash darkhorse. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash D-A-R-K-H-O-R-S-E. Dark Horse, a better way to CPA. Meanwhile, advisory services continue to grow in accounting firms. This is a story in CPA Practice Advisor. According to a survey by Spotlight Reporting, nearly 80% of respondents plan on offering or expanding advisory services in the future. I feel like we hear that in every survey. Everyone says, yeah, I want to get into advisory, but then how many actually do? 70% of respondents stated that they already perform mentoring, forecasting, or other advisory services. Nearly 60% of respondents identified themselves as a hybrid firm offering both advisory and compliance services. Only 25 of respondents identified themselves as a traditional firm offering only tax and compliance. 10% of firm respondents indicated that there are roadblocks that are preventing them from offering advisory services. What are the roadblocks cited by firms? Lack of time, not knowing how to start, not sure what to offer, and unsure about pricing and competition. Now, what areas do firms want to grow in when they add services? Number one, cash flow forecasting. Two, strategic planning and coaching. Three, virtual CFO and advisory services. Four, ongoing accounting and assistance. And then five is budget creation. So forecasting, budgeting, strategic planning, 
bookkeeping, all that is what people want to grow on. It's the same every conference. And that conference. was a global survey. It's, it's every conference of accounting for the last six years we've ever attended. It's the same. It's the same thing. Everyone wants to do it. I think the problem is finding the time to do it, right? I have a teeny little bit of uh, your favorite stuff, crypto news. Tell me. So we talked about Bored Ape a little bit before. It's like an NFT thing, and it's all the cele- celebrities are in there. Bored Ape. Yeah, these are the ape. And it's all tied to like pictures. Some, the, the one modeling agency. They're all, yeah. So anyways, the latest now is- These are little, just, just for our listeners who aren't familiar with the insanity of this, these are basically low-resolution GIF files that are being sold as NFTs for lots and lots of money as non-fungible tokens on a blockchain. Yeah, so, so now Madonna just tweeted out, I finally entered the metaverse, my very own ape. Thanks, MoonPay. We all need protection from evil. I don't even know how evil I is. Right, so she tweets us out. So she, mm-hmm. she acquired basically $500,000 on Friday afternoon. She spent on this, she planted a flag in her NFT land, you know, joining Eminem, Paris Hilton, Justin Bieber. Like these are all these same people that are doing this. Mm-hmm. I finally entered the met, uh, metaverse. And then, so this comes a few days after Yuga Labs, who is the creator of Bored Apes, raised $450 million in a funding round that valued the firm at $4 billion. Part of their, their plan is to create a metaverse where Yuga is seeking a $5 billion valuation on the premise that it can raise $455 million this year, primarily on the sale of quote-unquote land plots and a gaming-focused virtual reality known as Meta RPG. It's, it's like these celebrities are being used to pump this up, right? I don't, it's, I don't know. It's yeah. crazy. Yeah, it's nuts. So let's talk about the reality of blockchain. That's, that's the Beanie Babies of crypto is these NFTs, these little GIF images. I think it's totally silly. They will have zero value in the future or not nearly what they are now. Now the technology of NFT makes sense. So I like, I don't want to be like, like, you know what would make sense for an NFT? Tickets to a basketball game. Cause you can only have one of those that exist. Right. It, it's audible. Yeah. It's in the yeah. blockchain. That would make sense. But what's happening is it's being, the technology is being used to pump half-assed collectibles basically. The problem is the public thinks that when you buy an NFT, you're buying the image, but you're not buying the image. You're buying a link to the image. And so that's what happens when people fraudulently duplicate NFTs. Like there's nothing to stop somebody from creating a second NFT of the same image and then posting that online and selling it. So authenticity is impossible to manage because anyone can create an NFT for anything. So you're just buying a link. You're not buying the image. That's the, that's the thing people don't get. Yeah, for an image that, in theory, is can be duplicated an infinite amount of times because right. it's online, control-C, control-C, right. control-C. It can be everywhere, but you're just buying the right yeah. to say, well, I have the link to the very first one. It's just, is there value from that? Yeah, and it's very easy to copy them and create confusion. So it's like, you know, who, who you still have to have some third party that says this is the original. It doesn't get around oh, like the problem the price of needing... Like the, the Beanie Babies price guide or the Beckett baseball card price guide. You need to have somebody who authenticates all of these. Or the museum that puts the plaque below the piece of artwork that says on loan from the family foundation of you know, Getty or whatever, right? Yeah. Like that's that's the, the original NFT was the name under the painting. And somebody has to still do that. You still have to have a curator. So it doesn't solve the problem. You know who else is running into problems with blockchain? The country of El Salvador, which famously went big 
on blockchain made it an official currency of the country. And six months in, six months since El Salvador's Bitcoin, Bitcoin law came into effect, adoption of the cryptocurrency remains patchy. This is according to a story in restofworld.org. Lots of anecdotes about businesses that tried and failed because of glitches with the app, because of currency fluctuations, lost a bunch of money, and decided not to use it. In January, the government endorsed a report that at least 4 million users, nearly the country's entire population, had been verified as authentic users of the government's crypto wallet over the past several weeks. But in March, a survey released by the Chamber of Commerce and Industry of El Salvador reported that 86% of the businesses contacted said they had never conducted a transaction using Bitcoin. I think I saw some stats like this. Yeah, they, they, they were forced to right. sign up. So they have a list of email addresses, but nobody's used the app. Well, so they, they incentivize people to sign up by offering them the equivalent of three days minimum wage to sign up for the app. So that would be like, you know, David, we give everyone in the country 100 bucks to sign up for a crypto app that the government put together. Like, of course, people are going to do it. It's free money, right? But that doesn't mean they're actually going to go spend it on businesses. And they haven't. So and it's only been six months, but it doesn't look great so far. Part of the problem, too, is that the, the app that the government put forth is a custodial app, which makes a lot of sense, meaning that you don't own your own keys to the crypto. So a lot of crypto people some crypto people are criticizing it by saying it's just a bank account. It's the same thing as a bank account because you don't own the keys to the crypto. So if the government wanted to, they could just go shut down your individual wallet. So yeah. in many ways, it's worse because the government of El Salvador is known as being authoritarian. So like, you're worse off having a bank account directly controlled by the government than you are. Like It, it totally doesn't fit with any of the ethos of crypto. Anyway... They're still trying to go for it. Part of the problem, though, is that like the country of El Salvador is deeply in debt. And I suspect, based on what I'm reading here, that part of the play, play here is to get investment in Bitcoin into the country and then use that to pay off their you know, U.S. dollar-denominated like debt that they owe. Then you get those celebrities and, involved. Yeah. You know, so, so basically, how much of this is just a sort of a, a scam to get Bitcoin money into the country so that they can pay off their debt rather than having to you know, be accountable to the International Monetary Fund and all that. It just doesn't seem real. Yeah. They're going to create like a Bitcoin city where there's no taxes and people can come and live and, you know, it's, it's sort of like a Ayn Rand capitalist paradise. But think about it. The El Salvadoran government is not exactly known as like a decentralized kind of thing. <laughs> it's, they're, they're, it's sort of like the opposite of the kind of government you want working with Bitcoin. Anyway, it's worth a read. Link will be in the show notes. Check it out. And we should talk about app news, David. We should get we app news because I actually have news. some breaking news. Like it just literally, I hit refresh my browser. So I have some breaking news. So do you want to? All right, let's do it. So I have breaking news. I just finally, I hit refresh. I've been hitting refresh for the last 24 hours. I have access to my digits dashboard. So digits, I know we've spoken about digits maybe over a year ago. Digits kind of been floating around. They were going to solve all these things in accounting. And it was very like red velvet rope. Like we're not saying what we're doing. Well, they have all these investors. And the, we can get a little bit more of their most recent announcement, but we've been following them for a while, right? Yeah. So and, they, they, they spun up this website where it was very mysterious as to what exactly Digits was. And there was a wait list and they're going to they were doing everything. They were going to reinvent accounting, accounting and all of these types of things. We've been, so yeah. we've been watching yeah. them from afar, right? 
Uh, yeah. I think I saw one of their pitch decks a year ago. You know, people send you stuff, it comes through, PDF, you look at it, I'm like, okay, there's not a lot here. At best, maybe it's bank feed accounting, right? And they've been raising money the whole time. And the yep. big thing that got them on our radar recently is this article in TechCrunch. Digits raised $65 million on a, wait for it, $565 million valuation. $565 million valuation. And they don't really have customers. I mean, it's question as to whether or not they even have in the hundreds of customers. Well, they definitely have customers. because they, they made this thing so mysterious, right? I think they've collected 14,000 email addresses. People type it in. I think I've put in 10 or 15 email addresses trying to like, maybe, maybe it's different get now. I'm a different email address. I'll get in, right? So yeah. anyways, it's really, you know, stepping back, what did they release? Part of this announcement, they've released this product called Digits reporting. So they have reports. So digits after all reports. Digits reports. So, so, so it's kind of some background. So the founder, very established founder. So uh, him and his co-founder created an app called Crashalytics. They sold it to Yahoo. Oh, not Yahoo, sorry. Sold it to Twitter. Twitter eventually wound up selling this that team and that product to Google. And it powers and, the and mobile apps, all the crash data right inside. And all the and data I, about a user the end user on the mobile apps for Google. And I don't think you mentioned his name. The founder of Digits or co-founder of Digits is Wayne Chang. Wayne Chang. And he's the one who created Crashalytics, sold that to Twitter and then Google, was it? Correct. Forget. And, yeah. and, uh, and then he's, uh, and and he's invested in a bunch of other companies. So um, Crashalytics, I just want to say, Crashalytics was acquired by Twitter for over $100 million yeah. and then was valued at $259 million at Twitter's IPO. So very successful. Very successful. Analytics guy. And yep. because he's successful, successful exits, investors love that. And most of the articles, it's kind of funny, like the vast majority of the articles that are about digits are all about how many investors they have and how much money they're raising. Right? Right. And how well, because there hasn't been a product until now. Which hasn't been a product, right? You know, they have 72 individual angels on their cap table, right? And now SoftBank just did the latest big investment, right? Like it's mm-hmm. just... That's what a lot of the articles are about, right? And you and go on LinkedIn you and you look and at you the can... employees, and a lot of these employees are former Google, former Twitter. These are tech royalty type people. Oh, it's very engineering heavy. There's no doubt. It's super engineering heavy. There's no doubt they probably hired very, very smart people. But then you yeah. start digging in and like, what is this product, right? Yeah, tell me about Digits Reports. And, you got and access so in, to this So in one? this article in TechCrunch, Right. It says digits itself is not a data integration tool. It essentially sits on top of Intuit QuickBooks. So you start digging more. I'm like, oh, it's just a reporting app. It is the same apps we've been seeing for a decade on Zero and QuickBooks Online. It's a dashboard app, right? You drill down in your reports, you click on them. Now, this is a little bit slightly different because it, I think you were at QuickBooks Connect. Do you remember the whole like, the chat thing QuickBooks had. Well, they, they announced they were going to have a, a chat bot you could chat with and get information about your financials. So, so, so essentially, it'll take a sentence, like compared to January, income driven by an increase in this account, right? And so, so it's kind of plain language, but it's not plain language. And so they're taking- Well, the, you could say like, how did I do in January versus last year? And then it would 
translate that into something and come back to you with a number. Exactly, exactly. Right? And then I've seen but lots then, of like mockups of this built in uh, hackathons over a weekend. Like a lot of this has been built. Anyways, I signed up. And it, for whatever reason, it takes 24 hours for them to turn it on, which doesn't make any sense to me because it's all APIs. Just turn it on and let me log in and start seeing it's it's Because it's really just eye candy, right? So, so it took 24 hours to connect your QuickBooks file to digits. So, it, well, it took two seconds to connect it, but for them to show me any results, it took another day. Okay. But, it, but literally, I'd been hitting refresh like every hour and it refreshed just now. So I'm literally in Ooh. here for the first time. I have a little menu on the left. Uh, it's executive summary, profit and loss, balance sheet, cash flow. And it has my month end report. And basically, it just has like sentences, right, with my data, which is now I can uh, click on these and drill in, right? Or I can, oh, I'm in edit mode, get out of that. But then it has the balance sheet, the profit and loss. So I'm on my profit and loss. So I could look at, um, let's say, office supplies, and I can mouse over my office supplies, $224. And basically, it shows me. Almost, if you go back to the old QuickBooks desktop days, you could double click on a number and it would bring up a report showing how that number came to be. Instead showing of the transactions down, inside of that report, right? Yeah. So instead of a click down, you mouse over it and it pops up a, uh, a hover over and you instantly get the previous 12 months. And then you can like click through and see who the top vendors are and the top transactions. So you, so you can get insights to your numbers. Like you drill down. If you move your mouse off, then it goes off the screen. It's a little bit of a... I don't know what's better, right? You drill down and open something up that you have to close when you're done or an instant slide over pop-up. So anyways, it's just a lot of eye candy. It's a lot of eye candy for something that is pretty much using the QuickBooks payroll reports APIs. Okay, so wait, you're getting your financial statements, your P&L, your balance sheet, your statement of cash flows. It's pulling that from QuickBooks and then you can mouse over and see the previous 12 months of transactions in any account. Is there anything else? Based on their uh, screenshot, there's kind of a, a chat area. Like I can I can chat with my accountant about something or add comments. Yeah. Which I think it already exists in some other reporting apps. Um, and then they have a screenshot of it on their site, but I don't, it doesn't look like it's on in here. But it would be like a chat bot, right? Where I could be like, how much did I spend on um, office supplies last month? And it could retrieve that data and in theory serve it up. The real th- thing is here is, it's just another reporting app, dashboard yeah. app, right? Yeah. And there's so many of these have been on the market, so many. And so the valuation is a little bit crazy to me, right? Because this probably doesn't do consolidated reports. It doesn't do, you know, there's probably a lot of things it doesn't do that the more powerful reporting tools do, but they have the buzz, right? They have all the, t- well, the tech buzz, the money. So founder Wayne Chang has successfully sold a startup in the past, and so... This is how crazy VC money is right now. They're just betting on him to figure out how to do something in accounting. It's not there yet, but they're betting that it will be. And he is apparently in this TechCrunch article, this is the quote unquote from the reporter. Chang told me that since launching in 2019, Digits has already fended off three acquisition offers. <laughs> I mean, this is just such bluster, right? It's it's all, we've raised a bunch of money, people want to buy us, but there's nothing there yet. There's There's no... There's no there. Oh, and, there. The, and the thing is, like, the early pitch decks and, and the early thing, like, basically, they pivoted themselves into a reporting app. What was it before? They were going to reinvent accounting. They were going to, like... Yeah. It was it was, it was automatically so high in the sky, automatic accounting, all this stuff, and it's just... It's a reporting app. At the end of the day, it is yeah. Fathom Reports or any... Uh, 
um, Spotlight Reporting. It's another reporting app that just sits on top of the QuickBooks data. And so now the interesting about this, I'm going to get the tweet here, which I thought was actually really spot on. So I tweeted about this because I was kind of joking like about the – because the, the article talks about uh, the headline. I'll read the headline of the title of the article here. Digits books $65 million on a $565 million valuation to bring a more dynamic, automated approach to legacy accounting tools. And I tweeted out that the headline should say, a QuickBooks reporting add-on app is worth a half a billion dollars. Like, that should be the, the real title <laughs> of the article. Well, Alan Hettinger, A-L-A-N-H-E-T-T on Twitter, he replied and he said, sorry, I have a lot to say about this one. How are you on QuickBooks, yet you need AI to give you insights into your numbers? Those three ad expense transactions last February must be really confusing. And <laughs> I think he has a point and he's nailing this. There was an app that existed that basically did all of this about three, four years ago in the QuickBooks space. And then eventually they integrated with Zero as well. It's called Chata.ai. And it yes. would go read all, read all your data. It would, prov- it would kind of put it into common language like this. And they just couldn't get traction in the QuickBooks and Zero market. They just couldn't do it. And now if you go to Chata.ai now, it's all upmarket. They're going after Nike. They're going after all those types of places. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by Relay Financial. For those listeners that haven't been following along with my drama caused by PNC when they purchased BBVA and botched the migration, to quickly summarize, PNC bank feeds wouldn't work with QuickBooks Online. The website had all my old BBV transactions just listed as debits and credits with no vendors or payees. And to top it all off, the June bank statement was just missing, like June never happened. Let's just say my 2021 books were a mess. So for 2022, I made the commitment to stop using PNC and switch everything to Relay. Relay is a no-fee online banking platform built for you and your small business clients. Relay understands and solves all the things we as accountants and bookkeepers care about. Security, bank feeds, automation, reconciliation. I invited both my interns to my Relay account. They created their own user ideas and passwords. And within minutes, they were using Relay to create virtual debit cards, physical debit cards, download statements, and reconciling. Now, the bank feeds on my QuickBooks Online are reliable and my 2022 books are in order. To stop fighting with an unreliable bank that doesn't care about you or your small business clients, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash relay. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash R-E-L-A-Y. So here's my take on this. You get these tech people coming in from outside accounting and they think there's all this data locked up in QuickBooks. We can get insights from it. But what if there really isn't a lot of insight to be gleaned from the accounting data? Because most of it, when, you, when you're talking about running a business, most of the things that matter to the success of the business aren't in the accounting. The accounting is what happens after all the transactions occur. And isn't running a business, isn't growing a business all about making those transactions happen? So like in the QuickBooks file, there's really by itself, there's not much. You're not going to get a lot of insights. There aren't a lot of insights to be gleaned, especially when our accounting standards don't put any of those intangible assets on the books. And the information that you need to actually make that data useful is in a lot of other places, too. So this is why, like when I was at Giraffe, our big focus was on combining the people data and the non-financial operational data into a financial model that you could then use to run your business. And but, I think they want to do that. They want to connect to through a plaid, connect to banks as well. 
employing right. data there. So maybe they'll yeah, be but, doing their own machine learning on the back end and recategorizing transactions, which is what 50 other apps are all building. Like everybody's building categorized bank feeds software, right? And think right. That, yeah. that's Italian. I mean, that's, there's nothing special about that. There's nothing special about what they've built here with digits reports. Like there's nothing amazing or groundbreaking. Well, for I, me, I really started thinking about how I use reports in QuickBooks as a business owner. You know, definitely, you know, you're you're going to the bank feed screen and, and matching transactions, seeing what your cash balance is. Like literally like the cash balance. Right. And, and actually QuickBooks should yeah. just send that to every business owner as a text every day. Like, it would be super convenient. But you know what I really use the reports on is Sandy checking my data. Did I post things correctly? Right. I do a lot of transaction detail reports for the year because every lot, so many things now are monthly charges. Right. And I Sandy yeah. check the data. Then I'm like, okay, for Zoom, there's a monthly charge every month. So it's all been posted correctly. No, there's not a second charge. And almost like I used to almost audit my books a little less than just reports are just there. Right. Well, do you do any analysis on your reports, David? Do you use your reports for any analysis to see how you're doing? Every so often, but not, not, and this is the biggest problem I've always had with all the dashboard apps. And I've, and I've, I've sat through pitches of dashboard apps, a hundred of them, 110, maybe 120. Never have I talked to a small business owner, and I've talked to thousands of them, where they said, I really wish I had a dashboard. <laughs> like, like this, but, and, and so the, the sale, yeah. trying to sell a dashboard app to a small business owner is very, very hard. Right, because yeah, because they don't ask for it. They're not it's asking not a for it. They don't. They don't. This is why the timesheet apps, well, when we started that journey, exploded. Every single small business owner is like, "Oh my god!" Every week, timesheets are a nightmare at my company. Oh, you're, for forty bucks a month, T sheets, you're going to solve that for me? Okay, I'll pay that. Yeah, but their dashboard problem is so low on their priorities. Like they're just not going to pay sixty bucks a month for a dashboard app. Well, and here's also why they won't pay for it because a generic dashboard, something that is just assembled based on what every business might need is not tailored to me and therefore is not useful. The dashboard has to be super specific to my vertical to be at all useful. And a great example is Jeannie Whitehouse and her firm's wine industry dashboard, where they take the data from all the wineries in Napa, and then they benchmark them anonymously against each other. That data is incredibly valuable. But a generic like small business dashboard where it shows me, oh, here's your current, here's your uh, current ratio. Like business, business owners don't care about their current ratio. <laughs> like most of them, you know, unless they've got like loan agreements or covenants where they have to track that very carefully. Most don't though. So like for most small businesses, none of that stuff matters. What matters is, you know, how many customers did I get last month? And I don't need to look at my accounting system to figure that out. That's why CRMs are so valuable and marketing automation systems are so valuable because cost per lead and all those metrics are, you know, way more important to a success of a business than the, the accounting stuff, which happens after the fact. So the thing that I find is missing in like QuickBooks and Zero is the ability to do really easy variance analysis to see month over month, did I land on budget? And if not, why? What's the reason for all these variances and putting in explanations? And if somebody could figure out how to automate that better, that would be really helpful. But most of the time, you have to really dig in and ask people about the transactions. It's not obvious from the bank feed why there was a big variance in one account versus another. Why was my advertising expense higher? You can tell me it was, right? But you can't tell me why it was. 
So that's why all these automated analytics apps fail, I think, because in the end, exporting to Excel and putting notes in Excel is what people do because the data is in the heads of all the people in the business. It's not in the accounting data. And until somebody figures out how to automate that, like none of this analysis is really all that helpful. And David, I want to play this before we go because you brought an interview to the show. This was uh, Wayne Chang, Digit's founder, on a different podcast. And I think it just gives an interesting perspective on what, how they're thinking. Interesting. So, because obviously you can go find out how much you spent on travel last year. There's a QuickBooks report that will show you broken down by month. What is the advantage of doing it through digits and doing it just through an accounting report on QuickBooks? And that right there is one of the fallacies that we've discovered as we've ventured into the space. A lot of employees and a lot of people, they use systems like Expensify. They get billed as an Expensify charge. The system, QuickBooks, other systems, they don't see that as travel, for instance. Right. Or they might pay for things through PayPal or Stripe. Again, those things don't get classified. Those are transaction fees or other or uncategorized. This manual reconciliation, this manual deciphering of like, hey, what is this really? That's a stuff that we solve automatically. We break through Expensify. We break through Stripe. We break through PayPal. So that way we give you even more accurate information than what QuickBooks would generally show you. So I presume this is read-only, right? You're taking the data and you're just reading it because I could imagine there could be a thing where you would want to write the data. If Expensify is, you know, it's just coming in as an Expensify bucket and there's all kinds of things under it, what you're doing is read-only. Exactly. And our hypothesis was, you know, we want the industry to trust us, so we don't want to write anything back. We'll just read it from it, and then we'll give you the insights and all that kind of stuff. What we've learned was, it turns out our technology is so good. I'm not saying that in an egotistical way. I'm saying that in a way where we've gotten so many requests that like, hey, we actually do want to write it back. You know what? I trust the stuff that Digits is showing. I want to push this back to QuickBooks. I don't want to have to do this myself now. You're showing me all this stuff on a page. You want me to manually put it back in QuickBooks? No, no, no. I want to click. And so we're working on some innovations coming uh, later this year around that. So that was Wayne Chang of Digits, founder of Digits, on Lendit Fintech with Peter Renton. Or is it Renlin? Peter? Yeah. And they're hiring a like, uh, this is always, like you said, you always go into the jobs, right? Like what they're hiring for. right? And if you look at the product manager... Role. I'm sorry, this is the product designer role. Hold on, their website's actually very, very annoying. You have to re scroll to the bottom every single time the page refreshes. <laughs> uh, the product designer, let's see, for what they prefer. Nice to have. Previous experience designing financial or analytic dashboards. Like, <laughs> like that's who they're hiring for is somebody who builds yeah. dashboards. Like, that's the designer they want. Now, here's the funny thing. Like, now that I've been here, I just clicked around. So you can go from your profit and loss and drill down on my SaaS expenses, right? And then the SaaS expenses are by vendor, and I drill down again. And I can go all the yeah. way down to the transaction. And here's the best part. Are you sitting down? So yeah, yeah. their marketing and their claim, oh, it's all eye candy, right? We're going to separate the difficulty of financial data for the business owner. So if I, but if I drill in deep enough, so this is a bill, I drill in eventually to the transaction level. You know what they show me? Basically, a general journal entry <laughs> that says <laughs> debit, SaaS subscriptions, credit, checking account. Literally, it says debit and credit. So like, 
I almost want to call bullshit on this. Like, oh, we've talked to so many customers and small businesses because there's no way a small business owner would be like, you know what I mean? Like that's the beauty. That's the beauty of QuickBooks and Zero. They kind of hide that a little bit, right? That whole debit and credit yeah. terminology. So it's kind of funny that like this great revolutionary way to interact with my data, eventually if I drill down enough, just displays debit and credit. I don't know. My hands and are up. I think you... I think you nailed it with the description to dashboards, David, where you said no small business owner has ever asked for a dashboard. You know, maybe some have, but most have not. And the problem with dashboards, and I've seen this with firms who roll them out, is that when you start presenting KPIs to small businesses, you can't just pick KPIs out of the sky and present them. They're meaningless without context. So you have to do the work to understand the business, and then you have to pick what key performance indicators are actually relevant to the business. And then you have to figure out what is even appropriate. What, like, like for instance, let's say Digits builds this dashboard and it has all these balance sheet ratios. Well, my first question as a business owner to my accountant is then, well, what should this number be? Is this good or is this bad? And that depends a lot on the individual business. And so dashboards are meaningless without advisory services to go with them. And they have to be carefully curated and selected. Otherwise, none of it means anything to anybody. So, you know, like, what should my day's outstanding be as a business? That depends on what everybody else's are in my specific business size and industry vertical. And so if you show me that number... Like, it doesn't mean anything to me as a business owner without context, without advisory services to go with it. And I think this is what all of the tech people kind of forget in accounting. The data itself is not that useful without an understanding of the business. And I think the other thing I think in general sometimes with some of these dashboard apps is you as the accountant have no control. And that's why I think, like, some of these apps, uh, was it Data Deer that Intuit or QuickBooks bought? And uh, you have Li- uh, LiveFlow, right? These apps that are kind of like a Google spreadsheet that are tied to you can data. And then yeah. you, they have the kind of similar functionality where you can drill down on the number and it, and it shows you what made up that number from QuickBooks, right? So it's kind of similar, yeah. but you can customize these reports and kind of build. So it'll pull the live QuickBooks data and output it to a format you need to give back to your client, right? But like, there's no real like controls in this other than the executive summary, which is like, this is where I have to kind of edit it and write a sentence that says like, and even right now, the, the verbiage in this, I'll, I'll just read it, and you tell me what this means or doesn't mean. Okay, this is this is the d- executive summary. Compared to January, you generated ninety five percent, two thousand four hundred thirty seven dollars more income colon driven by a two thousand four hundred thirty seven dollar increase with Cloud Accounting Podcast LLC. Compared to January, <laughs> expenses increased twenty eight percent, nineteen hundred dollars driven by a three thousand three hundred eighteen increase in payroll expenses and an offset by a twenty six hundred forty five decrease in information technology. <laughs> yeah, that's all meaningless. Yeah. Right? Like, it and just sounds like a jumble of words. And the is not even, like, in small business talk. Yeah. So, I don't know. It doesn't I, help. I, I just, like, it, it's crazy. And some part of this, too, is, like, in general, like, everybody want all the VCs, they, they want to invest in the next QuickBooks. But then I'm like, it's a lot of gambling, right, on a lot of companies. But why don't you just buy QuickBooks stock? It's like a guaranteed return of 20% every year for the last 30 years. Just buy into its stock, and then you don't have to gamble <laughs> at all. So I don't know. Yeah. It's, 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 it's well, just interesting, these apps. They pop up, but I don't know. 
There's just nothing here I haven't seen tried or done over and over and over again. Yep. But there's more. There's other races. You want to jump into other ones? <laughs> but there's lots of bluster. That's what there is. There's a lot of talk. There's a lot of promises. So that's what makes this fun. Well, that's all the time we have for this week, David. We're over. We, we, so we we'll didn't have make it one it. app news. So many other apps. That was app news. That was app that news. Was app news. So save it for next week. Uh, I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast. If you would like to earn CPE credit for listening, download my app, earmarkcpe.com. It is not vaporware. You can actually earn CPE credits today. We put out a course about a week after the episode drops. So head over to earmarkcp.com, download the app, and look for all of the Cloud Accounting Podcast episodes. You can get credit for all of the episodes so far this year. Uh, You could conceivably hit your entire... CPE requirement now. We have over 100 courses on the app from our show and a variety of other shows in all sorts of fields of study. We are working on adding more every day. And uh, if you want to create your own course on Earmark or you want to have a show on Earmark, it's free. It's free for you as a host or as an author to create a course, and it's free for everyone else to listen. We're all about sharing information in the accounting profession. And uh, yeah, it's been going going great. We're up to like 300, or not 300, 1,350 members on the app, which means that we have more than digits, which is valued at half a billion dollars. So I look forward to all the VCs contacting me to offer to give me $100 million. <laughs> uh, we also aren't charging anything. Digits is also not charging anything yet. I think that's really funny. No, they have uh, other plans, but yeah, there's not a lot to charge for yet, right? So, I mean, it's worth everybody giving you a test run. Yeah. So, if people want to contact you online, David, where should they go? I'm just at David Leary on all the socials. And I am at Blake T. Oliver. Look forward to seeing you here next week, and we'll chat about all that app news we didn't get to. Sorry, apps that raised money. You you didn't get that glowing uh, love letter in TechCrunch, so we didn't cover you this week. Yeah, you just have to raise more. <laughs> Whoever raises the most. You've got to talk a bigger game, you know? What's well, the ratio? It's the ratio of raise <laughs> versus product, right? And if it's too unbalanced, we're going to talk about those ones first. My favorite is the apps that like barely raise any money and have like an amazing product, right? That's my favorite. The ones that went under yeah. the radar for all those years. Like, good for them. I agree. All right. All right. That's talk it. to you next week. Bye. Bye. Time for the classifieds. As humans, we're programmed from birth to learn watching others. Video has the power to engage, entertain, and educate without ever feeling like work. When you want to become a QuickBooks online expert in the shortest amount of time, the Royal Wise on-demand web-based learning solutions are the obvious answer. With 40 easy-to-understand QuickBooks classes designed to bolster your confidence and increase your accuracy, Elisa Katz Pollock's training will take you from beginner to advanced user. Pick just the topics you need or save money by subscribing to their entire QuickBooks online library and coaching program for one low monthly price. Listeners of the Cloud Accounting Podcast can enjoy their first month of silver membership for only $1 using promo code PODCAST. So head over to learn.royalwise.com. That's royal like a king and wise like an owl. Register for a QuickBooks class, become a member for just a dollar, and make learning a hoot. That's learn.royalwise.com. If you're looking to quickly grow a scalable, systematic seven-figure accounting firm without having to work 50-plus hours per week, check out Ryan Lozanis' online coaching membership, Future Firm Accelerate. Sign around Ryan's experience taking his cloud firm from scratch to sale so that you don't have to reinvent the wheel. You'll get online learning and topics that help you automate and systemize all aspects of your firm, 
You'll get coaching when you need help with implementation, and you'll also join a collaborative community of hundreds of other forward-thinking firm owners. For more details, head over to www.futurefirmaccelerate.com. Tired of clients not remembering to get W9s? GetW9 automates and streamlines the collection and storage of W9s. GetW9 has a QBO integration, and they have a partner program that pays 25% commissions. GetW9 plans start at only $19 a year. Visit getw9.tax today to get started. That is getw9.tax. Hey, podcast listeners, it's Blake, and I wanted to let you know about a new show I'm working on with CPA slash comedian Greg Kite and blogger slash former CPA Caleb Newquist. It's called Oh My Fraud, and it's a podcast all about financial crimes. That's right, a true crime podcast for accountants by accountants. Caleb and Greg are going to come together every couple weeks to unpack their favorite frauds and explore the circumstances, psychology, and interpersonal dynamics involved. They also fully indulge in victim-blaming the defrauded widows, orphans, infirm, and feeble-minded, because who can resist? If you fancy yourself a trusted advisor, or prefer your true crime with spreadsheets instead of corpses, listen to this show to learn what to watch out for, and to keep your clients, your firm, and even yourself safe. To subscribe, go to ohmyfraud.com, or search Oh My Fraud on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Want to get the word out about your newsletter, webinar, party, Facebook group, podcast, ebook, job posting, or that fancy Excel macro you just created? Why not let the listeners of the Cloud Accounting Podcast know by running a classified ad? Hit the show notes for the link to get more info.